are into our sermon series on one another and what scripture says about the one another commands. Uh, this morning, it's going to be a bit of a different style than you usually see me. Usually I pick a passage of scripture and we dig through it and understand context and all that. This morning we're actually going to look at a word study. It is a word that's often paired with the one another commands in scripture. Uh, as you probably saw with announcements, if you were here on time, um, is that we are talking about edification this morning. It's this big word that we translate into English as edification. The English translation for that word is this, to instruct or improve someone morally or intellectually. When you read, your scripture, when you read scripture, often uh, in the older translations, newer translations use words like build up or uh, sometimes encourage, uh, sometimes instruct. But the older translations would have used this word called edification. Would have used this word called edification. Now, the interesting part about that is majority of the time in scripture, when we pair this word edification in our English with one another, it is, um, it is this word in Greek that I'm not going to try and pronounce because I will not do it justice, but this is what the word means. It means to warn or correct. So the word edification that is normally, like the word that's usually translated as edification in scripture is actually this Greek word that is to warn or correct. Now, not always. There's a few cases where it's translated into this, this word edification, but it's not actually what the original Greek meant. It's important to understand, right, the context of what Scripture is actually saying. So last week we talked about this idea of encouragement, right? We talked about encouraging one another and the need to encouraging one another, the need to actually start from a heart posture of bringing out the good, calling out the good, seeing what God has created someone for and reminding them of that. And this morning we're going to talk about what seems like the opposite of that. Order for a reason. Why is it in this order? Because before I go into what we're going to talk about this morning, I want to remind us of what we talked about last week. If you have not spent the time to encourage someone, to call out the good, to actually speak life into them, do not think you can do what we talk, we're going to talk about this morning. You actually see this pattern in scripture of you start from a heart posture of love and compassion. This idea of we're going to call out the good. We're going to say what we know God has put in someone first before we go into what we're talking about this morning. Why? James says it great. He may have got it from someone else, but I'm going to give him the credit for it this morning. Is that every person has a bank account. Every person has a bank account. And here's what happens with that bank account. Life takes withdrawals from it or it deposits something into it. Right? We all understand some, well, some better than others, but we all should understand some port of finances. For grown-ups, you know, that's part of our job is to know how to uh, spend and, and take care of our money. And so the idea is everyone has a bank account and life deposits, people deposit into that bank account and withdraw from that bank account. Here's the key. If you have not deposited into someone's bank account, do not think you can withdraw. Because if you try, you're going to bankrupt them. That's actually not what we're called to do. 
to one another, right? We started with this idea of love and unification, and that's what the body's supposed to do. And yes, we're going to get into this morning's message about this warning and correction, but you need to start with the other pieces first. This idea of have you deposited enough into someone's bank account to make the withdrawal? Here's the other thing that we need to understand is that the Holy Spirit's really good at guiding us because sometimes... Sometimes you're paying off someone else's debt. You know that life, sometimes we've all had those cases where we've had relationships that have bankrupted us. They have withdrawn so much that we have nothing left to give. We come into a place of bankruptcy, emotionally and spiritually. And sometimes God brings you into someone's life and you need to listen to the Holy Spirit telling you, hey, you know what? This person needs you to pay off all the debt that's been incurred first. So it's not this black and white equation where it's like, okay, I have given them three encouraging words. Now I get to tell them all the things that I think are wrong. It's not that black and white. We like things that are that black and white, right? I do, at least. I like science and math, and so I like things that make sense and fit into nice equations. And I, I, to be honest, I think as early as a pastor, I tried to fit into that, into that box, right? Okay, if I've, I can keep track. If I've given someone three encouraging things, now I can tell them what I think they need to change. Instead of understanding that the Holy Spirit is the one who guides and directs us, right? The Holy Spirit is the one who guides and directs us. He's the one who reminds us of when it's time. We aren't a church that doesn't, or we aren't a church that has thrown out sin. Sin is real. Things that separate us from the Lord are things that we see in Scripture. But what we do with that, how we do that, how we bring this accountability between one another, how we bring what we talk about this morning is edification between one another is something that we need to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us in. It is not black and white. So then how, how do we invest in someone and how do we know when to make a withdrawal? Because this morning, this word is actually often written through the New Testament to the new church. I can't remember how many times I looked it up and I don't remember, I forgot to write it down. But there is numerous accounts in the New Testament where it uses this word, this warn or correct one another in how we're supposed to function as the church, as part of the body of Christ. It's there, which means we can't throw it out. We can't say that, okay, actually, I'm only going to be love, and I'm only going to be encouraging, and I'm never going to actually call out what the Lord is showing me in someone else's life. We don't get to do that. Why? Because we don't get to throw out any part of this, right? Can I get an amen to that? Right? This is God's word. We don't get to pick and choose. We have to take it all. Amen? But what we do with those pieces and how they all fit together is sometimes where we get it messed up. Sometimes we don't see the whole picture. We don't take all of it. We just take pieces of it. 
So where do we start? Yes, we start with love and encouragement. Why? Because we need to invest in someone. All of that, all of that is rooted in love. Again, we're not doing this so that we can get to let me tell you what you've done wrong. And I think sometimes we even have that, that perspective, don't we? It's like, okay, the pastor told me that I'm supposed to say something nice first, so I'm going to make sure that I've said something nice before I can tell them all of the things that I think they need to change. That's not the goal, right? The goal is actually, I love you. God has created you for a purpose and a plan, and I want you to live that out. And that's my heart posture before you, is actually understanding what God's heart posture is before you. And let's start there. You don't have that heart posture for one another yet. Start there. Start there in prayer. Start there asking the Holy Spirit, would you break my heart for my brothers and sisters that are in the church with me, for my family that are a part of my body here. Would you break my heart for them? Show me, show me what you see in them. Let us start there. Because when we start there, it becomes much easier to love someone. It becomes much easier to encourage them and to actually see the good because you want to. Right? From that place of encouragement, Scripture has some instructions on how to instruct. The next step, we go to encouragement, and then we go into this next step. So we're going to open our Bibles to Romans 15, verse 4. Romans 15, verse 4. says this. Oh, I'm wrong. 15 verse 14. I said four, didn't I? I forgot the one. You'll be reading something different than I am. You'll be like, why do I have a different Bible than the pastor? We'll have problems. Okay, Romans 15 verse 14. You ready? My brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. You know, as I was looking through this word that talks about warning and correction, this idea came to me about my kids, and they go to school and they come home from school, and I have this conversation with them often, um, and usually in the first months of school, this is how it goes. Hey, how was school today? It was great. What did you learn? Nothing. <laughs> what do you mean you learned nothing? You have been gone from me for like eight hours. You had to have learned something. No, I learned nothing. Well, you sat with teachers for eight hours. What did they teach you? And especially in the first month of school, uh, especially with our girls, the younger two, they uh, are kind of studious. And so the first months of school, they'll say, well, I already knew it all. It's all review. I've learned it all before. Any other parents in the room have had this experience with their kids? And you're like, well, that's a waste of your eight hours. But sometimes we think teaching someone is giving them information. Right? 
like a teacher, and they're doing their job, don't get me wrong, my kids probably have listened better than other kids, and that's fine, and so they actually learned what they were supposed to learn the year before, and a lot of kids are coming in, and maybe they hadn't learned it, so they're starting with review, and the teacher's doing a great job, but they, my kids are right, they didn't learn anything, because they already knew it. And I think sometimes we think about instructing one another, we think we're actually just having conversations about things that we already know. It's not actually instructing. Because here's the thing, if you want to hold someone accountable, if you actually want to be able to say, you know what, I need to bring correction into your life because this is what the Lord said and this is what you're doing, they better have had someone who told them that this is what the Lord said. You understand what I'm saying? That if we're not starting from a place of, I love uh, Pastor Ken Russell, our district superintendent, was here a few weeks ago, and he talked about this idea of mentoring, right? Mentoring, he's talking about through generations. We teach through mentorship. And if you don't have someone under you, if that person isn't under you and you've spent some time actually teaching them what the Lord says, spend some time actually saying, okay, let's dig into why God says it, what he says your life should look like, and why he says that it should look like this. And if you haven't spent that time with someone then you can't also think that you can come in and be the one to bring correction. Because how do you know that you're correcting something that they've been taught about? You know, Scripture says, well, how will they know if no one goes and tells them? We start with encouragement, and then we need to be mentoring and actually teaching what the Lord says so that we know what we're holding someone accountable to. The idea of we start with instruction. We need to know where someone's coming from, what they believe, what they know about what the word says. We need to also understand what we're teaching because here's the thing. There's a lot of things that we think are black and white in scripture that aren't. It's another thing that um, those of you who would have known me 17 years ago would have seen more of this size of me or side of me. I like things to be black and white. Right? Anyone else with me? I like it to fit into a column. I know exactly what is okay and what is not okay. I know exactly what is in column A and what is in column B. And that makes the world make sense. Makes my faith make sense. You know why we like that? One, we're probably wired a little bit more type A and liking things to be in boxes, but you know really what the heart is behind it? Absolutely. It's control. We don't actually want to rely on the Holy Spirit to give us insight. We actually want to be able to just do it on our own. And I think there's this beauty in Scripture you don't see this, read it. Open your Bibles and read it. What we see in Scripture is there's a lot of this gray, and I think God keeps it that way for a reason. I think he actually keeps it that way so that we're reliant on him. I think he keeps it that way so that he says, hey, you know what? Your knowledge is foolishness compared to my wisdom. Right, so scripture says, man's knowledge is foolishness to God's wisdom. 
It's this beautiful relationship. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some black and white things in Scripture, and they are non-negotiables. We've talked about them many times here. First and foremost, the cross, the need for atonement, what Christ did on that cross for our salvation. That is non-negotiables. But there are a lot that we think fall into column A or fall into column B that I'm not positive God would place there. So first of all, we encourage, the next thing we do is we instruct, and instruct comes from relationship, and that is that depositing into someone's bank account. It's actually building relationships with people. The next thing is in Colossians 3.16, and this is where the first time we see the word that I was talking about, this word that we often translate into edification, Colossians 3. Verse 16, it says this, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom teaching, there we see it again, right? Instruct, teach, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. This is a really interesting passage because let's read it again. It says to admonish one another. That word admonishing is actually that original word I was talking about in the Greek that is to warn or correct. So what it's actually saying is warn or correct one another through psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Has anyone ever actually brought correction to someone or a warning from a place of gratitude? It seems like a contradiction. I don't know to you, but to me, it seems like a contradiction. It seems like, wait a second, no, usually if I'm bringing correction or warning, I'm frustrated. There's another piece behind it, but I love that it actually puts it there. It's behind it, but I love that, hey, Do it from this heart posture that remembers how good God is, remembers that God is capable of redeeming whatever you're coming to correct. I think that's what this actually means. Is it saying, yes, I'm calling you to warn one another and correct one another, and we're going to explain a bit of what that might look like. But yes, God's calling you to do that, but to do it from a heart posture that remembers that he's capable of redeeming it. capable that he's in the restoration business. That is who he is. His job, what he wants to do is restore people. Amen? His job isn't to make them fit better into our cookie-cutter model of a Christian. That's not actually what he wants to do. What he wants to do is restore people back to himself and to one another. Amen? Let me say it one more time. What he wants is to restore people back to relationship with him and back to relationship with one another. Amen? Amen. The only point for warning and correction is to get to there. Not so that we get our points across, not so that we look better, not so that we feel like we are doing the right thing. That is not the goal. The goal is restoration of relationship with him and one another. Correction and warning. 
Here's what happens when you go and you bring correction to someone. You are now withdrawing from their bank account. It needs to happen. I'm not saying it doesn't. Scripture's clear on it. It talks often about how our job is to hold each other as Christians accountable. We're actually supposed to call out and say, hey, you know what? What you're doing there, that's not very good. That's actually not what God's word says to do. And, and we need to have that conversation. But we need to understand that that's actually withdrawing from the bank account that you have now deposited into. And how have we done the other parts? Have we encouraged and have we instructed? Have we built relationship to do that? First Thessalonians 5:14 says this. And we exhort you, this is this warning or correct you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Here's where we see a breakdown of what does this word actually mean? What do we do? Well, the first thing it says is warn those that are idle. I actually sat and thought on this and looked up all the words and tried to figure out what is it talking about? What are we warning here? Who is those that are idle? I think there's a lot of other warnings in Scripture, and I can go into those at some other time, that talk about other warnings. There is warnings that we need to give someone that says, hey, you know what, if you continue down that behavior, here's the consequence that's going to happen, and I'm just telling you. That's actually loving. We do that with parenting all the time, right? At least we should. Hey, you know what, if you continue to do that, Here's the consequence for your actions. And you probably don't want to live with those consequences, so let me warn you ahead of time. There is that type of warning, and that is in Scripture. That's one piece of warning. But there's this other piece that talks about here is warning those that are idle. I think what it is talking about is warning those that say, hey, you know what? God has put a lot in you, and you're doing nothing with it. There's a need for that. I actually, uh, I think of people as spiritually, I think of them as a spiritual being as, as physical. Maybe it's because um, how my brain works. Let me explain. I think of it as like, okay, someone spiritually, if they were in a physical body, if they're consuming and consuming, consuming and consuming and consuming and consuming, they become spiritually obese. They're sitting and they're listening to all the sermons and listening to all the podcasts and reading all the scripture and they're doing all the things and they're doing nothing with it. It actually means they're just sitting and eating and eating and eating and actually doing nothing with it. What happens when you sit and eat and do nothing? We all know. Who said we get fat? Okay. I wasn't going to say it quite like that, but he said it. So, yes. Um, right? Now, the opposite side of the coin is this. Those that don't actually listen to instruction and don't have places where they're being fed and don't have places where they're being built up and not getting spiritual food, but they're trying to do all of the things. You know what happens? You become spiritually anorexic. You have nothing in you and you will crash at some point. Neither extreme is good. And I think what he's talking about here, he's saying, warn those that are idle. I think he's saying, hey, you know what? Those that are sitting around and doing nothing, 
warn them and say, hey, you know what? You should be consuming, absolutely. But you know what? God's put things in you to do too. So let's do them. It's actually a place of health, right? Calling out the health in someone, saying let's exercise what God's putting in you. There is this piece in there. But then there's a few other pieces. Saying, know where someone is coming from. Remember we talked about the bank account? Know that if someone's coming in and they're so bankrupt that they actually just need to sit and eat, that they're so far, they've been so depleted that they need a space to just heal, that's okay. Sometimes what you see on the outside that you think needs to be corrected is actually the least important thing that needs to be addressed. It actually says that here, right? Uh, Let me find it again. Five, four, two. There we go. Comfort the discouraged and help the weak. See, some people are just so discouraged. They don't need you to tell them what they're doing wrong. They already know. They're not naive. And I really, truly believe that if the Lord is in someone and they have a real relationship with God, that they have accepted Christ as their Savior, that the Holy Spirit's already telling them what they need to change. And when we come and we bring correction and we say, hey, you know what, here's the thing that I think probably needs to be out of your life or you need to change or you need to do all of, fill in the blank. If they have a true relationship with the Lord and a humble heart, they're probably going to nod and say, yeah, you're right. Because the Holy Spirit does this, right? Scripture actually says that the Holy Spirit is the one who brings conviction. He's the one who brings change. But some people know these things, but they're so depleted and they're discouraged. They're tired. They've been broken. And they don't need you to tell them what you see is wrong in that moment. You know what they need? They need someone to put their arm around them. They need someone to say, hey, what can I do for you? What do you need? How can I love you? How can I care for you? How can I build you back up? And that's okay. I say that because I don't want you to hear me say that, you know, God has put things in you and you can't be idle and sit and do nothing. Now, there's a place for that, but you also need to know where you're at, that sometimes you're so depleted that you're discouraged and what you need from the church, what you need from the one another, from the body, is to be comforted. I don't know about you, but I want to be a church that's known for comforting those that are discouraged. Amen? we're going to be known for one thing, I'd rather be known from that than the one that's really good at correcting. I know I'm talking about both sides of the coin a lot this morning because I think that we need to remember both sides. That it's not one side or the other, it's actually both in balance. How about those that are weak? 
You know, it's interesting that scripture talks to carry one another's burdens. Carry one another's burdens. You know what I see happens actually often? When people go through things that are really, really heavy and often uncomfortable, is that we're really good at being there for about the first week. And then it becomes really time-consuming and seems like, you know, I don't know if I have it in me to just sit and listen to them cry again. But there is something beautiful in carrying each other's burdens, being able to come alongside and said, I'll help you carry that. I had a really good friend. Um, she was really involved in her church. She was... Uh, it, in, in ministry, and, and uh, we were quite close. Not here. She, was, she, went to a, she lived in a different city, um, just so that no one starts trying to figure out who I'm talking about. None of you know her. Um, I'm not gossiping this morning. Uh, she, a few years back, we were there through some really hard times in her life, and um, pretty close to her. And she went through in a few, few couple years... She had um, her marriage break down, and she lost a parent, and um, had a whole bunch of stuff happen. And I sat down with her not too long ago, about six months ago, and she had stepped away from her church and stepped away really from, from corporate faith, not, into, not personal faith with the Lord, but definitely corporate faith. And I said, what, why? What happened? Like, what's going on? You were so involved. You were so connected. You had such a deep love for the people. And she just said, she says, I did. And then I went through all of these things, and no one knew how to help. And they walked away. You know, they said really nice things on a Sunday morning, like, you know what, we'll pray for you. We're praying for you. We're praying for you. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that praying for someone is not important. It is the, the most important thing. But she said, and that was including me, and my heart broke. And I sat there, and I just cried before her. Like, we failed you. You know, and then when she started to struggle, and she started to do things that were against Scripture, and she, got, she was trying to numb the pain and all the things that were going in her, people were really quick to come and correct all of the stuff that she was doing. Really quick. Come and say, hey, you know what? You shouldn't be doing that stuff. And she just broke. And my heart broke. And I realized, I realized that we need to get better at sitting with people in their pain. Don't we? We don't do it well as a culture, right? It's interesting. James goes and he travels and He's done some missions trips, and when he's been gone, he, he comes back, and he says he, he loves other cultures. And he comes back, and he's like, they do so, much, so many things way better than we do. He said, when someone's grieving, you hear they're grieving, and everyone's grieving with them, and they are wailing together. And they just sit for hours together, wailing together. There's this grieving together. And when someone is joyous, there are joy together. There is this loudness and this corporate joy together. And when someone is, you know, fill in the blank, it's like this idea that they have this expression of how they're feeling internally. And we don't do that well, right? 
especially not as Christian culture. We don't do that well. We want to move from sadness to joy in one prayer, and sometimes it doesn't happen. Which is interesting because it's not actually what we see in Scripture. If we read through the Psalms, what we actually see is we see David on his face before the Lord, right, writing Scripture saying, God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your face away from me? Why are you not even here? He's just wailing. Why are you not even here before the Lord? And somehow we see that as someone throwing their faith out nowadays. Oh, they're walking away from God. No, maybe they're just being honest with where they're at. Maybe we need to be okay with that because Scripture's okay with that. Warning needs to happen, but it needs to be done in balance with all the other things, with all the other pieces, right? And how we do it. Is it about wanting to make sure that people can conform to what we think is right, or is it about that we want them to be in right relationship? Those are different things. They're different heart postures before the Lord. Our last passage this morning is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 14 and 15. It says this. Before I read it, I want you to remember all the things I just said. Because it's a tricky, it's a tricky couple verses. What it says is actually quite tricky. And it's something that I like to glaze over, and I think that's why God's like, don't glaze over it, actually read it, and let's figure it out together. So here's what it says. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, so this is uh, them writing to the church, and they're writing a letter of correction, okay? They're writing a whole bunch of things of here's the things you need to correct. And this is what it says. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take note of that person. Don't associate with them so that, they, so that he may be ashamed. Yet don't consider him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Remember what I said? We can't take pieces of scripture. We've got to take it all or none of it. It's a hard passage. It's the same word there where it talks about this idea of warning. So what does that look like? Does that actually mean that we're supposed to excommunicate people? We're actually supposed to, hey, stop them. Right? I mean, if you read it, that's kind of what you see. It says instructed, if they don't agree and they don't want to do it, then take note of that person. Don't associate with him. It's a hard passage. I'm not sure I have a complete answer for you this morning. Sorry. But I'll give you some thoughts. 
Here's the first thoughts. The thoughts are the end of the verse. So it says, do this, but yet don't consider him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. There is this idea where there's this warning. We're saying, you know what? What you're doing, your behavior has become so damaging, so damaging that we can't let you hurt anyone anymore. It's a different posture. I don't think he's talking just about, like they're talking about some heavy things. If you read through the, the book that this is written in, talking about some heavy things that they were correcting. And they're actually saying, you know, but don't consider them as an enemy. The goal isn't to excommunicate them. The goal is still reconciliation, but there does come a point. There has come a point, um, our son, Stuart, uh, he would laugh about this story now, so I know I can share it. There is this time, he was probably, we were in a 21st Street house, he'd probably been 17, 17, 18 years old, where we were talking, and he wanted to do something, and it was really destructive, and he was still living in our home, and I remember sitting at the kitchen table, and he was getting madder and madder, and if you know Stuart, he doesn't say a whole lot when he gets mad, he just sits there, and you can see him getting madder and madder, and, and, and I'm like, you can't do that, and he stood up, and he looked at me, and I said, if you do that... You will no longer live under this roof. You can't do that and live here. And it was something big. I don't even really remember what it was. You might, but it was something big. And he got up and he walked to the door and he opened the door and he looked at me as if he was going to leave. And I stood up and I said, don't walk out that door. And I, I remember standing there and staring eye to eye with him for what seems like an eternity. I actually said, oh yeah, I actually said, I said, don't walk out that door or else. Okay. Any parents in the room, like, ever say something that dumb? You know, because you really quickly, what do you realize? You're like, or else what? Like, he calls my bluff. I don't actually know what I'm going to do. Like, there was no, there was nothing that was coming the or else. It was just a, like, or else, you know? It was funny, we stood and we stared eye to eye at each other and James sitting at the table very like, oh no, I don't know where this is going. But I remember it was one of those things where I was like, this is a defining moment and if you continue going down this path, I can't be a part of it. He knew very clearly from that point, we love you, we'll accept you, we'll bring you back in, but if you're going to continue to do this, you will no longer be under this roof. There comes a point for those conversations, right? Let's not pretend that there doesn't. There comes a point where those conversations, sometimes someone's behavior in the church, in the corporate setting, becomes so destructive, and we've had to have those conversations with people. It has been the most devastating part of our job, where you have to sit and be like, if you don't want to change this, you are doing damage to other people. And you repent, or you have to leave. Those are hard moments, and I think that's what this passage is talking about, is those hard moments where there does come a time where someone's behavior becomes so damaging, not just to themselves, but the people around them, where you have to come from that place. But you come from it from the place of where I was standing eye to eye with my son of saying, in my heart, please don't walk out that door. I don't want you to go. 
I want you to make the right choice. I want you to stay. But I can't. I can't let you do this and pretend that I'm okay with it. I'm not. You know those moments? I guess I should tell you the end of the story, hey? We stood and stared eye to eye. It seemed like an eternity. An eternity. Ask James. It was probably like 30 seconds, but it seemed like an eternity, mostly because I was trying to figure out what, what I was going to do if he did walk out the door. I'm like, I don't know. Um, but I remember in those moments, my heart was just breaking because I was like, I don't want him to go. Like, please, God, don't let him go. Like, this kid has been through so much. I don't want him to go. I want him to thrive. And I remember standing in those moments, staring And he slowly closed the door, and he walked back to the table and sat down. He looked so defeated. But if you ask him, he would say that was one of the breakthrough moments in his life where he realized, okay, I need to deal with some of my baggage. I need to deal with some of my stuff, and this is a safe place to do it. Here's the moral of that story. I'll call the worship team up. Are we a safe place for people to deal with their stuff? when we have to have those hard conversations, when we have to actually say, you know what, this behavior in your life has become so destructive, you need to do something. This isn't okay anymore. Have we created an environment where people know that it's a safe place to actually deal with it? I hope that we have that heart posture, that we see them as brothers and sisters that we edify one another, absolutely, that we warn someone, we love them enough to see if they're going to be jumping off a bridge, that you stop them before they do. That you say, hey, there's consequence to your behavior, and I don't want you to have that consequence, so let me tell you about God and what he says about this behavior. Let us do that. Let us bring correction, but let us make sure that we have deposited enough in that bank account before we try and withdraw. Let us make sure that we're willing to follow it up with I'll sit with you in your pain for as long as it takes. I'm going to walk you through the healing process. I'm not just going to say, hey, deal with your crap and walk away. And church, if you're, we need to edify one another. And I hope you got that from the script, from reading this, the scripture this morning. And my message is that we need to do this with one another. But my encouragement, my challenge is to make sure you're willing to go the whole distance. Don't drop a bomb and walk away. And if you're not, then find someone who's connected to that person and get them to do it. Let me pray over you and let's just worship one more time. God, I thank you that your plan is reconciliation to yourself and to one another. God, I pray that as we, as we love one another and these difficult things come up and we have to bring correction and warning to each other. God, that it would be done with a broken heart. One that isn't doing it from a place of pride and needing to get our own point across, but one from a heart posture that that just wants the best, that wants reconciliation. 
that is willing to continue to go the journey. God, would you help us be a church that doesn't walk away from the hard, doesn't pretend that it's not there, but one that deals with it in grace and love. God, I just pray that we would become a better reflection of all sides of you, not just love and grace and not just correction, but God, that we would be able to marry both parts, that we would be family that goes the distance with one another. Thank you for your word, that we have it to guide and direct us. Let us always look to it when we need guidance and direction. In your name, amen.